Are you interested in learning more about how to start your Salesforce career? Be sure to register for our next live webinar showing you exactly how the Salesforce Career Development Program works, our latest statistics, and up-to-date information about what's going on in the Salesforce ecosystem. To register now, head over to talentstacker.com forward slash live. That's talentstacker.com forward slash L-I-V-E. We look forward to seeing you on the next live webinar. All right, everyone, add Elijah on LinkedIn. <laughs> Elijah right. Green the fourth. <laughs> That's right. If you want any secondhand clients, you know where to get them. <laughs> Hi, I'm Anita Smith. I'm Bradley Rice. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to, to the Salesforce, Salesforce for Everyone podcast. In today's show, our guest unpacks the attitude he thrives with in Salesforce freelancing. There's going to be times where you make mistakes, but you're a culmination of all the good decisions you make, not that one bad decision. Also, we take a closer look at what it means to be financially free. The splurge is the lifestyle itself, being able to live a freer life. Like we don't go to the grocery store and we don't budget it out because we know it's okay. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Salesforce for Everyone podcast. In today's episode, we are going to be having a special guest on to talk about a topic that we have not covered on the show yet. And that is Salesforce freelancing, also known as independent consulting, and how you might be able to decide if this is something you want to do with your career and the steps you can take to bring that to a reality and a whole lot more. So helping me to dive in on this topic, as always, is Anita Smith. How's it going, Anita? Hey, it's going uh, quite well today. <laughs> no disasters this week so far. So I I'm pretty happy. <laughs> How about yourself? I'm also doing quite well. Uh Except that I will say our power got turned on. Speaking of disasters, it was not as a disaster, but our power got turned back on this morning around 11 a.m. And it had been off for two and a half days. So lightning struck our power line, not our neighborhood power line, but our power line. So the power company was not exactly quick to get out here and get it fixed. And they actually came out yesterday and said they fixed it and everything was good and they left, but they didn't check with us. So it's been interesting. Luckily, the weather has been really good. It's been overcast and we were good to go. So it honestly made for some fun. Evelyn loved it, getting flashlights and battery powered candles out and all that fun stuff. So I think it just reminded us of sort of our childhoods and when the power would go out and we got to share that with her. So there's always a silver lining and nothing went horribly wrong. We had to rebuy groceries. But other than that, we're, we're good to go. Two days? Oh my God. Wait, is, is lightning like hitting people's homes really common out here in Texas countryside? I've never had this that happen. Because this is the first time like, you seem to, <laughs> lightning hit my... It's just you and I. That was like a week apart. That's crazy. I think someone's targeting Salesforce for Everyone podcast hosts. <laughs> I think that's what it is. Oh, man. All right. All right. So I really want to introduce our special guest. He is a Talent Sacker alumni, joined a few months after me and has just... <laughs> like killed the entire game. He has 10 Salesforce certifications. He did 62 super badges, which I think that's how many super badges actually exist. He's only been in the ecosystem, what, two years? Welcome to the show, Elijah Green. How are you? I am doing well, quite acceptable. Well, we're excited to have you on. Obviously, we've had the opportunity to meet you a couple of times, not trying to sugar you up, but you are a fantastic person. And so if anyone's met Elijah, you you will know that he's actually a wonderful human being as well as an incredible Salesforce expert. So that's always a nice combination. 
And I think, you know, really the, the reason we're having you on for this episode is because one of the things you've done, which is somewhat unusual, is immediately after entering the Salesforce ecosystem and getting that full-time role, you started picking up freelance clients and finding some work on the side and balancing that with your day job. And, you know, I think that's something people dream about and they think about, wow, that'd be really cool if I could, you know, make some side income, or that'd be really cool if I saw a future where I might be able to, you know, quit my day job one one day as maybe an early retirement or a, a coasting into retirement kind of thing and maybe only work a few hours a week or something like that. And then anyone who's heard my story knows, you know, I got to a point where I just worked 20 hours a week and that's what I felt really comfortable with and, and freelancing allowed that. So I'm thrilled to have you on for this episode because this is a topic that's super meaningful to me. So uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. And I'm just going to hit you with the first question that I have. And I know a lot of individuals who are trying to start freelancing. How do you get clients? Like, how do you even get your first clients? Oh, uh, yes, sir. So for me, I got my first client via my first job. I came into Salesforce ecosystem via the Hiring Our Heroes program. And through that program, I um, got a job with this company. And lo and behold, after getting the job, accepting it, they told me and for me, I'll be brought on 1099 corp to corp. And I was absolutely terrified. Even though I got my first Salesforce gig, I had to open up an LLC. And now I have to do contract work, start doing billable hours. And it was very terrifying. While working there, I started learning what being a contractor meant, right? Some weeks it was 40 to 50 hours. Some weeks it was 10 to 15 hours. And as I started taking ownership of my Salesforce career and my skills, I learned like I have a lot of time. So after looking at Bradley's story, because it's a lot com- very common in mind, looking at some other stories, I decided, why not? So how did I receive my first client? It's always going to be referrals, right? I was working with a client and ethically, right? I use the word ethically very um, loosely. But ethically, you cannot poke your customer's clients. So it was a customer of a customer who reached out to me. I heard good things of you working on this project. Would you be able to help us on this? And I obliged. Yeah. So I wanted to I'm going to respond to that. That's really interesting. I wanted to first sort of preface the audience with, you're probably going to hear us use the word or sort of this term 1099 a lot. So if you're not familiar, 1099 is the tax form. And a lot of people call contract workers 1099s. And that's actually the tax form you use when you're not a W-2, which is a full-time employee. So if you hear us use W-2 or 1099, W-2 is a full-time employee that works at a company, gets benefits from the company. A 1099 is someone who's typically paid hourly on a contract and does not get benefits from the company. So just to preface that, so what you mentioned there was that you got your first client as a referral. And that's very normal, especially for people getting into freelancing, because if you actually get into the Salesforce ecosystem and start networking and you work for a client and you do good work, and you put yourself out there and you connect with other people and you talk to them and you act professional, right? They're going to start to have respect for you. And if you, I mean, and you may or may not have done this, but I know that as I was exiting my career as a Salesforce consultant, I knew that I wanted to get into independent consulting. I knew I wanted to start my own business. And I started building those relationships and sending some DMs and LinkedIn and saying, hey, you know, we'd work, like you said, ethically being a loose word, but it would be, they'd work with my consultancy where I worked as a W-2. And then we would terminate that. We'd be done with the project. They'd decide they didn't want to work with my consultancy anymore. And then my non-compete was six months. So six months after that project was complete, I would like set a timer and I would reach out to them and go, hey, you know, it's been a while since we did that project with the company I'm working for. And I was just wondering if you guys were still using Salesforce. And if, you know, if you enjoyed working with me, you can, I, I'm actually open to taking on gigs on the side. And 
to your point, for anyone out there listening, if you're a Salesforce professional today and you think you might even might be interested in freelancing or independent consulting in the future, then I would strongly suggest go ahead and build lasting relationships with the clients that you're working with because you never know when you might want to utilize those, whether it's a reference for a friend to help them get a job or help them get a freelancing gig or whether you use it for yourself. So just keep that in mind. Do you have any thoughts, Anita? Yeah, I wanted to touch on, you kind of brushed over it really quick, but like starting an LLC, did you know you had to start one when you first started? Because a lot of people... I guess it takes them a while to start a business. And one of the big things, I think it's like so much paperwork to like start their own company. But how was your experience with that? Oh, yeah. I'm not going to say any company names because I'm not advertising. But you can do all of this yourself. You can. Now I'm very well versed in like the tax code and all this paperwork. But I use one of those online companies that did it for you. I paid for the convenience. I will preface this. It has nothing to do with the question. I think anybody can be an independent contractor. I think anybody should jump into it, but you have to be financially stable. This isn't anything I would recommend on a prayer and a dream because the startup costs, you can do the LLC yourself, but there is some kind of brand, there is some kind of marketing, even though we live in this remote world. So it cost me some money to set up my LLC, pay the state fees, open a bank account. There was a lot of work. Even if it doesn't cost immediate cash, it's going to cost time. And I have to take off work. I have to go to the bank and do a lot of different things. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And I'll say my, my perspective, not that anyone asked, but, but my perspective was that uh, I'd been in the Salesforce space for six years consulting before I started my LLC. And it's because I had this limiting belief that it was going to be so hard and I'd never done it and I didn't know what to do. My, but my parents had an LLC. And I can tell you, they made it sound like chaos because they just didn't really understand what they were doing. So there was always an accountant involved and there was, you know, there was just so many people. And I just thought, man, this is this crazy thing. And we would always talk to our fellow like consultants when we'd go meet up on projects and go work for clients on site and things like that. And every now and then the conversation would strike up about like, what if we had our own consultancy? What if we did our own thing? And everybody would kind of say, oh, that'd be so cool. You could do this and I could do that and we could do it together. And then nothing would ever come of it. You'd never talk about it again. And that'd be the end of it. And every now and then you'd see somebody leave and you'd go look them up on LinkedIn. And sure enough, they started their own thing. And it was like, wow, yeah, but they're so smart. They, they're brilliant. They obviously knew what they were doing compared to me. And there were all these limiting thoughts and imposter syndrome and all that stuff combined. And then for some reason, it just hit me. I was driving home one day and I was passing all of the like lawn care companies that were parked on the side of the street in the neighborhood. And every truck said whatever LLC, right? And I just thought, man, all these crews started an LLC. Like, Not that you can't have a landscape company and be brilliant, but I think I, I might be brilliant too. If all these people are brilliant, then maybe I can do this too. And I just went home and that weekend, I just sat down and I said, I'm going to start an LLC and that's the end of it. And it took like three hours, including watching the YouTube videos and everything else and ended up being like, I think in Florida, it was like $300. I've done it again here in Texas. I think it was $300 again. And it's really... Does it take time, especially the first time? Yes, absolutely. And you want to make sure you get it right. But it's not that crazy, guys. It's it's actually pretty simple. So if, if you're one of those people like me where an LLC was stopping you from starting a business, it's not that wild. And yes, you do have to open a bank account because the money's got to go somewhere, right? But also not that crazy. Go talk to your personal banker. They'll help you out. Not to say it's easy, it does take work, but it's absolutely doable for anyone who's smart enough to be a Salesforce professional, then you're smart enough to start a business. Yeah, I just had ChatGPT 
right out the steps for me. It took me longer to figure out a name for the LLC. Oh, that's the hardest part. Yeah, so hard, right? (laughs) Yeah, I think that's most people's issue. It's like if you're a Salesforce pro, naming your fields and your objects and your pick list (laughs) values is the hardest part, right? Actually building a flow is it's like second nature to a lot of people now. All right. I know this episode is supposed to be for freelancing and side gigs, but can we just talk about your main gig for a quick minute? Like you are an architect. I think you're the first Salesforce architect that's come out of the Talent Stacker program. Can you just like tell us about your journey there and how you got to that point? Yeah, it's a blessing, right? So um, again, started out in Iron Our Heroes program. I worked on 1099. Again, that word again. But what that gave me the opportunity to do, they weren't a Salesforce partner. They weren't system agnostic. They weren't Salesforce agnostic. So I got an opportunity to work a lot of different projects and fail and fail fast, right? I got to work field surveys, a lot of experience cloud, a lot of different programs and integrations that some partners might not want to recommend or might not want to deal with. And from there, you know, there was a shift. That's why I started working, doing side gigs, because I wanted more time, more hours, more money. But then there was a shift. And yeah, I was like, I need to take care of my family because a big thing when it comes to contracting is I'm a single father of three. There is insurance. (laughs) That is a big thing. Everything else is cool, but there is insurance. And if you aren't prepared, which I wasn't prepared, again, I recommend and I say that anybody can do this, but it's about understanding what's going on in your personal life and seeing if you're able to do it. And realistically, I wasn't at that point. So I decided to make the shift to W2 work and yeah, start working with a bigger company. And also there are different kinds of consulting, right? I was 1099 working for one consultancy. I've worked for one client before and I've worked for a recruiter before. But when you're working with certain smaller consultancy, the skill level is very high. So being the low man on the totem pole, there's not a lot of help. There's not a lot of mentorship because the people there to mentor you are very, very busy. So changing to W2 and moving to another company gave me an opportunity to get that mentorship and actually learn a lot of different stuff. I didn't get the opportunity there. And then from there, I like to help people in the community. I like to give back the same way people help me. And from somebody, um, a fellow vet and somebody I talked to a million times while we're in the middle of the conversation, he said, I have a job referral for you. Are you want to be a solution architect? I was like, yeah, of course. I don't think they're going to hire me. He's like, I'm going to put in referral. You can go through the interview. And somehow I got the job. And six months later, I'm not fired. So like, voila. <laughs> oh my God, congrats. See, hidden job market. We're not lying, people. Like, this is how you get the good jobs through your network. Yeah, I mean, naturally, right? Like, that's how you find the best jobs, the people who really want you and they fit well with you. Yeah, I love that story. And I also love the way you finished it with, you know, you're six months in and you're not fired yet. And I think, you know, I guess that's a fear. Like, I don't know. I feel like a lot of people live in a fear mindset and and myself included in a lot of ways. And we're always like worried we're going to lose our jobs. And I think on the other side, our employers are probably scared to death that we're going to quit and job hop and, and go somewhere else. And everybody's just in this fear state of, oh no, I hope I don't lose my employee. And all the employees are like, oh no, I hope I don't lose my job. And uh, (laughs) maybe just we need better communication. So you pointed out a few things and it's like making me remember all these different concepts. And one of the things I wanted to point out was you, you mentioned stability and I'd love to get your, your take on this topic. I think there was a realization that I'd made, and there's a couple of concepts that we're going to have to cover real quick to make this come together. So I'm going to start by saying, to Elijah's point, there are a couple of different ways you can contract or be a 1099, right? And some people do full-time contracts dedicated to one employer, and they'll just be 40 hours a week contract. Basically, you're a full-time employee with no benefits, and typically there is a 
limit on the size, right? It's a six-month contract. It's a one-year contract, something like that. So you know when the end date is coming. And it's very natural to start talking about contract renewals a couple of months in advance. And if the conversation is, no, we're not going to renew, then you'll start looking for your next contract. You will have heard Elijah mention working for a recruiter. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe what he means is a recruiter. There are some companies, recruiting companies, that will specifically help place you into contract roles as a 1099. So you can work through a recruiter to get placed into those roles. There are companies like Lorian who specialize in contract roles specifically. There are other recruiters who specialize in full-time or they prefer to place you in full-time W-2 positions, that kind of thing. So there's a lot going on in the space. And that's why a lot of times, you know, I would say 99% of the time for people entering into the Salesforce ecosystem, I will recommend either getting a full-time W-2 job or a full-time contract role, whichever comes first, just get your foot in the door. But take that one client, work it full-time, get your focus, get your understanding of your skills and where you fit in, get a little more networked into the Salesforce professional community. And then all the things I just mentioned, like if you're new to Salesforce, then that might be a little hard to take all that in all at once. But if you've been in the space a little while, you've networked, you've been to Dream and Events, you've, you've been to your local meetups, you've probably talked to people who are contractors and, and full-timers and all this kind of different stuff, and you're becoming more aware of it. So I first wanted to preface and say, there are those differences. And all that to lead into this concept of managed services agreements. So one of the biggest sort of misunderstandings of freelancing that I saw was that people thought, well, I don't want to be a freelancer because I'm constantly searching for my next project. Projects are ending and I got to find the next one. That means I got to constantly be selling and marketing while I'm doing the work. And that's not true at all. The truth is, if you do this well and you do it with a strategy, you'll put into place what are called managed services agreements. And these to me were, and I taught uh, basically a freelancing course for about a year, helping new freelancers break into the space. And we can talk more about that later. But to me, managed services agreements were, I just referred to them as the holy mecca. Like this is as good as it gets. And what happens is you get these contracts in place with clients, but they're not full-time contracts. They're like 30 hours a month. That's what a lot of mine were. So 30 hours a month works out to about seven hours a week. And when you have that in place, I typically would have about five different clients, four to five. And so I would have anywhere from you know 25 to 35 hours of contract work on the plate each week, but it was across different companies. And those were all managed services agreements. So we had one-year contracts in place where they were on the hook for 30 hours a month for the next 12 months at an agreed upon rate. So for me, that was usually about $120 an hour. 30 hours a month, each client was worth about $3,600 a month. And I would try to keep four to five of those at a time. And the beautiful thing was if I hated the client or they hated me, then I only lost one, right? One fourth or one fifth of my income. So I always had stability. And if that dried up or I needed to find a new client, it wasn't an emergency to find a new client to keep food on the table. It was just to fill that you know, 20% gap in my income while I found that next client. So all that to say, to finish this thought, and I know I've rambled for a while, but hopefully it's valuable. The, the concept here is that a lot of people think that W-2 jobs are super stable, right? And I've got this really stable job. And then we see layoffs and it's like, yeah, how stable? They can still fire you tomorrow. So how stable is stable? And then we get into freelancing and people go, oh, that's so unstable. And it's like, well, both, they can still fire you tomorrow. And you can still quit tomorrow. So really, the instability comes from the project-to-project basis. And you don't have to freelance project-to-project. You can have 
you know, a handful of clients at a time. So I just wanted to put that out there for people who are listening. There are different ways to freelance and there are different strategies to give yourself stability. So any comments on that before we head into the next topic? Well, I wanted to ask Elijah if his experience has been similar to yours. Yes. So um, simply put, I started off contracted with a consultancy. It wasn't the best of times, but it wasn't the worst of times. I'm very transparent. Like there are some growing pains, especially when learning new products and consulting. And then um, I picked up a couple of managed service agreements. I pretty much, I don't believe in reinventing the wheel. I believe in making it better. So I pretty much just took what Bradley pretty much put in the air and took it with me. But um, it was good. Like my whole idea, my whole concept is, and my business model that I will share with you is there's a lot of people who can't afford an admin, a consultant, et cetera. So my idea was those small businesses, modern pops, you can rent this admin. That's where the managed services come in. And that's where I was able to work. If you need me five to 10 hours, if you need me at this rate, if you need somebody just to do the, the work that you can't do, but you can't afford to hire uh, your admin at eighty dollars to $100,000 and pay $200,000 for your business, just pay me. And I can be there when you need on call, on dial for this amount of hours. And from there, you're able to help a lot of people and able, like Brad said, to build that network. That's awesome. Follow-up question. How many clients did you have at the same time? Like, I guess at the highest point. That's something I want to control. I know myself and I can't be scatterbrained. Maybe it's the ADHD. Maybe it's like I drove down a lot when I'm focused on a task. So to have like five clients is crazy. I think the most I had was three. Nothing crazy. I mean, that's still <laughs> that's still impressive. Like how how do you manage that workload and like your, your time with your your day job and the side gigs? You balance your priorities, right? So um, I made it very clear. Everything's on my calendar, type A personality, group via calendar, bridge, and Calendly and everything. So I had hours for each of them. I make sure that I'm not taking three clients. That was at the most, but usually it's like one and maybe two, but I'm not taking three clients that are very needy, that needed me at certain hours, who worked at this time zone. Like, I need you from this hour to this hour. I took positions, especially because I was junior, where, hey, we need you to do this work and we need it done by this time. What that meant was get it done by this date. So whether I do that, all that work and complete it in, you know, 10 hours of work in one day versus two weeks, the work got done. And I made sure to pick clients who are willing to work with my agreement. That's impressive. What did you do with the clients you didn't want? Did you refer them to someone else? 100%. I think that's how you build connection. I'm like, hey, I'm not willing to work with you, but I know a lot of people who will. <laughs> we have a great network, whether it be the talent stacker pool or even uh, my close friends in Salesforce Consulting or other CRMs. There are a lot of people that, that want to help. And if, um, yeah, pay it for it. That can benefit somebody. I'd rather help somebody else, especially somebody on my network, get that next opportunity. That's amazing. All right, everyone, add Elijah on LinkedIn. <laughs> Elijah right. Green the fourth. That's right. If you want any secondhand clients, you know where to get them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So a follow up on that, you know, I, I think a lot of people have access or they're aware of a lot of the technical skills that are available, you know, mainly through certifications in the Salesforce ecosystem. I'd be interested your take on what skills have served you the most in this ability to manage multiple clients, get freelance clients. Actually, you know, you mentioned having that work-life balance and starting the business and I'm sure getting contracts in place and invoicing clients. And there's a lot to running the business, even if it's one client on the side, there's still quite a bit to running the business side of it. So with all that in mind, what do you think the top skills are that you have that have served you, whether that's Salesforce technical skills or some type of soft skill that you might have? Yeah. Um, 
emotional EQ and like continuing to be a learner, right? Just look at it as like I'm a student to the game. I don't know everything. So asking the right question, building that network, having the emotional EQ to um this is a podcast, watch my language, but there are some quotes I live by. And to me, it's like um to be able to throw it in the wind, right? There's gonna be times where you've dealt with difficult clients, there's gonna be times where you make mistakes, but understanding this isn't like how you think of yourself in the back of your brain. You're a culmination of all the good decisions you make, not that one bad decision. And people look at it the exact opposite 24-7. So it's like understanding that I got to be emotionally strong enough to take this with a grain of salt and move forward. I got to be emotionally strong enough to ask for help, tell the client when I'm not going to be able to make deadlines or budget and be realistic with myself to say if I have the skills or not so I can set realistic expectations. Being able to do that, network, and then be empathetic. It helps you connect with a client and then it allows you to make mistakes because I lead with the platform of family because I think like it's cheesy, right? Salesforce made this very interesting marketing campaign of Ohana. I love Lilo and Stick, so it stuck with me very quickly. But we aren't a family, right? We are coworkers. We are professionals. But understanding that we want to have those values and look out for each other. And that's one thing, whether it's real or not, that's one thing Salesforce has done very well. I've gotten a lot of help. I lead with family and I lead with authenticity. It's hard to be authentic to yourself. But if you're able to be authentic, you're able to make mistakes, you're able to learn and people take you for who you are. So once you get past all that, you're able to sort of just come in it as you are. But at the end of the day, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Oh, man, that was beautiful. <laughs> like so authentic. I love that you you said all that. That Man, you. I just see you on this path to be like CEO or high up there in a really big company in the future with your skills right now. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I do have a vision of where I want my life to go. (laughs) Oh, what is it? What is it? (laughs) Put it out there. So I will put it out there. So, um, the goal, obviously I want to be a technical expert. I will in the next four years be a CTA. It's a personal goal. I want to be at the pinnacle. I want to learn, but my goal is not to be your CEO. I do want to run a company, but it's very selfish and it's very financial. It's to make enough money to either sell this company to Salesforce to somebody else or to have somebody who want, has those goals and visions run that company. Because my whole thing is I work to live. I don't live to work. I want to, like, I get the opportunity to raise my kids and, like, go to all the school events and be with them. So I want the same opportunity with my grandkids. Like, I have two daughters. Let's say they get married. I want to be able to chill with my son-in-law and drink a beer. I want to be able to chill with my son and his wife. And I want to be able to travel and do these things that uh bring me joy. And then if I'm the CEO of anything, it'd be like a nonprofit. Like I've been given so much. So I want to be able to do the same thing. You know, the fire movement. I'll call my financial independence, retire eventually, right? I want to be able to have the opportunity. I know I'm one of those people that will never stop working, but I don't want to have to work because I have to and have to work for any financial obligation. I want to be able to work just to give back to people and be able to, um, I'm going to use the right term because it's a various in a movie I really love, have effort money to where if my people are taken care of and I'm not treated with respect to dignity, I can say epic. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Any thoughts, Bradley? Yeah. I mean, a, a lot. I'll, I'll try to keep it short. First, you know, like, like Anita said, obviously you, you are very authentic. And, and I think, you know, that's what I was trying to mention when we kicked off this episode was that anyone who meets you will, will see that immediately. Like it's not putting on a ruse for a podcast episode. It's not putting on a ruse to get, you know, clients or whatever else. Like when you see people who are amazing, you just attract people like you, right? Like you attract people who respect your values and respect that authenticity. And you very likely deter people who do not have those values because it it probably just seems like so weak, right? They're like, ah, oh, I don't like that, but I love that. And I think that's all that matters. And you mentioned a few things, being imperfect and expectations. And I'll say that when I finished 
my W2 full-time consulting, my number one takeaway that I was taking into starting a consultancy was setting proper expectations for clients. That was the biggest flaw I saw in all of mainstream consulting was that there was too many disconnects. Sales reps would come in, set these lofty expectations. Delivery teams would come in and try to maintain those expectations. And by the end of it all, clients would hate the work that was done. They'd be frustrated with you and they wouldn't want to work with your company anymore. And in some cases, companies would even end up in lawsuits because what that sales team sold was not at all what that delivery team was able to deliver because Salesforce simply can't do the things they said that it could do in the amount of time that they said that they could get it done in. So expectations are really important. And like Elijah said, that that all goes hand in hand. You being imperfect is an expectation. You needing more time is an expectation. Needing a little bit more money is an expectation. Like These are all things you just need to be transparent with. That's going to make your Salesforce career better. If you ever want to get into independent consulting, it's going to make all of that much, much easier. So now transitioning to what was just said, those are the things that matter. Like I completely agree with you. Like I've lived that side of things where when we talk about like FU money and not having to live by someone else's dollar, even just for six months, if you cannot live by someone else's dollar, it just gives you so much freedom. And you're exactly right. Whether people have kids and they tie that into family, wanting to be able to make choices that align with the values of their family, or whether it's just for them and maybe a spouse or whatever else. It doesn't really matter. It's about your freedom, right? And Elijah, you were mentioning this earlier. So it's becoming a theme, this financial freedom concept. And you were saying that not everyone can freelance. And the reason that they weren't able to freelance is because their finances are not in a position that allow them to freelance at this point, right? And not to make this, you know, preaching about personal finances, but if you constantly, that there are people who cannot afford their bills, and that's a reality. And that's why we think Salesforce careers are if we can help people transition in to find those entry-level $70,000 incomes and hit those six-figure marks you know, a year or two into their careers, that usually is going to set most people up for financial success unless they continue to increase their expenses to meet their income. And for most, at least in North America, they're going to increase their expenses to surpass their income, no matter what the level of income is. And if you continually do that, then freelancing is probably never going to be for you because you're never going to have the freedom to make risky choices or bold choices or choices that involve you making value-driven decisions versus money-driven decisions. And if you're never in a position in your life where you can make a value-driven decision and it's always got to be about money and who's writing you a paycheck, then you're never going to experience what Elijah was just experiencing. And that's being there for his son and his son's spouse and being there for his family and making choices that matter to him, not just to whoever can give me the biggest dollar amount to just shut my mouth and get the work done. And I think that is the freedom aspect of this. And the reality is, if you do freelancing right, that is going to introduce more freedom into your life. But you got to have your finances straight to take on that opportunity. So hopefully that makes sense. All right. I have a fun question. Okay. Father, three kids, getting into a Salesforce career, also freelancing. What has been, I guess, your biggest or favorite splurge? Oh, easy. So um, after a horrible breakup last year, I went on this whole weight loss journey. But to start my journey, I bought a Rolex. Do not be like me, people. What? I thought they hold their value, though. No? They do, but it was a very irrational, very... It was worth it. I have no regrets, <laughs> right? So that, that was my favorite. And um, just being able to do that, because I am very I am very frugal, except for when it comes to one thing, food. Yes! Like, I manage my budget very well, because, like, 
my like clothes budget and everything else is like very small. And people think, oh, you spend so much money on food. I'm like, we spend about the same, but it's just everything else is very small because outdoorsy, working out, I can do that for free. But my food and wine expenses, like, <laughs> it's a lot. Because I will, I will argue, because there are some things, expensive clothes, like a, a nice suit, dress shirt. There are some things that retain value. A winter jacket that you have to pay some money for. But a graphic tee, like, I'll... I'll buy the ten dollar graphic tee. Like I, I'm the guy to argue with you about the fifty dollar t shirt, and then spend two hundred dollars on some steak. Like I have a problem, and I'm okay with that. But this is why you got. You need to understand why you work, and I understand why I work hard. I'm not ever gonna go to a company and lie to them. I like to work at companies that have my values, but I'm not here to because I love and I want to change this organization. No, that's a benefit of my uh, value, my character. That's why you hired me. Why I'm here is to get paid, and <laughs> I'm very transparent. Nice. And for all the use people out there judging about the two hundred dollars steak, like don't don't judge until you actually try to, okay? <laughs> like it it's ridiculous and delicious. I am curious, Brad, did you ever splurge? You seem super frugal. Um, you know, my family splurges more than I do. I I I've definitely gotten bougier, my my wife would say. But it was always about, I think the biggest splurge for me personally was that my family had the opportunity to splurge and that they could buy things and that they could do things that were maybe more expensive than my taste. But from a budgetary perspective, because of those Salesforce dollars, we could afford it. And, and that was okay. And for me being able to see them not go out and be selfish or spoiled and those kind of things, like those are all, you know, values and, just sort of accolades of, of ourselves or attributes of ourselves. But yeah, to, to be able to go buy nice things. And like we were on a vacation and we go on nice vacations that they're not luxurious, but they're long, right? We'll, we'll go to places for a month. And, and that's a really nice way to be able to splurge. And I really enjoyed that aspect of being able to rent a house for a month. And yes, I get the 40% off Airbnb discount, but it's still, you know, five, $6,000 to rent a place for a month at a destination. And for us, destinations might be rural North Carolina, close to a state park for hiking and, and those kind of things. So it's not quite, you know, we're not getting beachfront, you know, amazing properties with boat slips and all this kind of stuff. Um, but all that to say, yeah, I mean, we've splurged. I mean, the home we have now is, I, I think, much nicer than any home that I ever thought I would live in. The cars we drive now are much nicer than the cars I ever thought that we would we would drive or I ever wanted to drive. And we don't worry, like we don't go to the grocery store and we don't budget it out because we know it's okay, right? As long as we don't go crazy, we we know that it's okay. So I think really the splurge is the lifestyle itself, being able to live a freer life. Like you're not laying awake worrying at night. You're not laying awake scared to death of what's going to happen tomorrow with your finances. And that's it's a privilege. It's a, it's a luxury to just be able to sleep well at night, not worried about your money so much. But I was going to say that we got, we parked our car we were staying in the city and a drunk driver hit our car in the middle of the night. So we weren't in the car, but we woke up in the morning and our car had been towed and it was totaled. And there was this whole thing I won't go into at all, but basically we got screwed by the insurance company because we had two different car repair companies. We were out of state and we had two different car repair companies basically take advantage of us and they didn't repair the car and they just tried to give it back to us. And we could have, we could have had a lawsuit. We could have pushed for that, but my time's not worth that. And that's not where I want to spend my time and energy. So I think Salesforce money afforded us the luxury to say, you know what, scrap it. We'll go trade the car in and it's busted. And we know we're not going to get top dollar. And we know it's probably a, you know, a $10,000, $15,000 decision even, but we're going to trade this car in for a major loss and go get the same car again and be back on the road right where we wanted to be. And being able to shell out $10,000 to 
avoid potentially years of, you know, talking to lawyers and trying to get money out of a company. To me, those are the luxuries. It's not everyone has their values. To me, it's not $200 steaks or, you know, nice clothes. You've seen the clothes I wear, like they are not nice. Um, but Wait, you wear a lot of talent stacker gears. Don't say that. I have talent stacker gear. That's right. <laughs> Those are the best clothes. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's more the freedom. It, it is the freedom that having financial stability allows that I think is the biggest luxury for sure. Yeah, I think that is the biggest pro of having side gigs and freelancing. You don't have all your eggs in one basket. You don't have that fear in your mind that you're going to lose your job because you have because you have multiple jobs lined up. I think that's probably one of the biggest pros of uh, freelancing and having side gigs. All right. I want to ask a question. A lot of people are probably wondering and they want to like, they're hearing Bradley like just dropping 10K on a car because he just didn't want to deal with lawyers and stuff. People are probably wondering, okay, how do I get into this? How do I do this? Elijah, do you have any advice to give anyone who wants to get started in it, anything at all like that you would tell, I guess, your former self, if you could give yourself advice? Yes, ma'am. So first up, use your resources. Utilize your network. Hire a professional. Don't do this on your own. Step number two, decide what your risk aversion is, right? Some people can jump head first. Some people need their feet on the diving board so they can stick their fingers in the water. If you need your feet on the diving board, make sure there's no non-compete clauses. Make sure your job is okay with that. Make sure you are a subject matter expert and that professional at your job to where you can do what you need to do on the side without compromising your day job. But if you are prepared and ready, jump off. I don't think there's a middle ground with this. But yeah, use professional. I have a CPA. I had somebody file for me. I could probably do it myself next time, but I might use the same company. And then I have a network of people I go to and ask these questions, whether it be documentation, whether it be what should I charge for this, whether it be how should I handle this situation? And those are my big three. Everything else, once you sign that LLC, it's whatever you want it to be. Awesome advice. Is there anything that you want to share that we haven't asked you yet? I don't know. I'm enjoying the process. I know um, Bradley was talking earlier, and I'm big on quotes. My friends, um, they love and hate it because it'd be the worst time of my lives. And then I have to sing a song or, you know, you got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. And I hang up <laughs> on me. But yeah, but Bradley talks about values and wealth, right? As he was disrespecting steak, there are two quotes that popped in my head. The first one is, you have finally, I think I heard it on the Joe Rogan podcast, true wealth and true financial stability is where you can go into a restaurant and not have to look at a menu. And I love it because that's what I live by. It makes me like coming from where I come from. It makes me very comfortable and very happy. And then the other one, like I live my life by. I just added the first one because I love, I love food. But the other one I live my life by because I get the opportunity to help a lot of people. True wealth is when you can give it away and it not hurt you or burden you, right? It's being able to help other people. Like I carry cash now to give to people. I'm helping other friends, whether it be financially, physically with my time. That's true wealth to be able to take off, to be able to be there for people you care about and you not take a loss and be able to sleep at night comfortably. And you know what I mean? That's the real win. I like the whole freelancing thing because it gives you an opportunity to take charge of your life. What you're going to realize, what you're going to figure out is you have to be responsible. That's why it takes so much time to set this up. If you aren't responsible, if you have bad habits, if you have sloppy work, if you're lazy, if you have a bad attitude, if you have some kind of personal relationships in the background that have been still in a turmoil, they're all going to come to the forefront. This forces you to take ownership and control of your life. And once you do that, now you have a decision to make because you can make what the top of the game, you can make a million dollars working a W-2 job. 
But there's a lot of work you have to put in there. And you have to be the best of the best, the smartest of the smartest, or get it handed down by your father. Or you can come into consultancy and become the coach and work with the best people and have, if you have a good heart and you're smart and you have the right direction, you can have people that help you bring your vision together because not everybody wants to be the coach. Some people just want to be the players. Figure out what your role is, figure out who you are, what you want to do, and then just run with it. I want to point out something too, that there's another synergy that we we haven't touched on. And I know we've gone far off of Salesforce freelancing and I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that because I think this stuff matters really more than, than that stuff does, um, regardless what the title of this episode says. And it's that when you come into it the way you're talking about, Elijah, and you care about people a lot and you care about doing the right thing a lot, people are concerned about money typically, or I'll, I'll say from my perspective, because of a, a fear, a fear of not having, uh, a fear of not being able to provide, a fear of losing their home or their car or their respect or their pride and, and all those things that we put into our identity as people. Again, especially in North America, our identity is tied very closely to our income levels and our cars represent that and our homes represent that and you know all these things. And I think it gives you another sense of freedom when you treat people the right way and you build networks on not just your credibility as a professional, but your credibility as a person. You're never going to be in need the same way other people who have stepped on other people to get where they are and have pushed people around to get where they are you're never going to be in need like they will be in need. Like if they lose their job, they're going to have to fight tooth and nail to get the next one. If you lose your job, you're going to have so many people who want to give back to you because of your attitude and the way you've given to them. And I think when you build that, your worst case scenario becomes much, much brighter than I think you might even give yourself credit for. Like if you got laid off from your full-time job tomorrow, the reality is you've already invested yourself and your personality and your actually care for others. And that's going to pay much bigger dividends than I think any of your 10 certifications are going to pay. Yes, sir. And I did have something on the freelancer side that I forgot to say. My biggest, like once you get the LLC started, my biggest free giveaway is build a process, build a process, copy somebody's process, but everything from your scope of work, managed service agreements, all your paperwork, all, how are you going to do your accounting? How are you going to follow these steps? Make it repeatable and engagement. I think I know people that can help you with that, but I, if you do, hopefully they plug it. But there are great companies that can help you with that. One I definitely recommend. But 100%, build your processes. Take those documents with you. Have people review them. Make sure they are airtight. And at the end of the day, you're protecting yourself and the people you work with. Lead with love, but at the end of the day, understand that not everybody has the same morals and values as you. So it's always it's always personal. Business is always going to be there, but it's always personal. So take care of yourself and the people around you and make sure everything's airtight. And for when this business has to evolve, it might have to kick it to a C-corp. You might decide to start a consultancy or you might just let it dissolve and start something new that you're able to copy paste and build on what you have. Yeah, I appreciate that. And it's it's very true. And I will take you up on your offer to uh, talk to people just for a moment about Talent Stacker. And a lot of people don't know because we're sort of known as entry-level jobs, right? It's all about Salesforce entry-level jobs and how to break into the ecosystem. But we have recently been working very diligently, Anita included, and a ton of people from our internal team. And we've been working on something called the Career Advancement Program or the Career Accelerator Program, we are now calling it. And what it includes is partially, a big part of it is the freelancing side of things and how to start an independent consultancy and way more. I would say, I don't know, Anita, you you might know, like what percentage of the Career Accelerator program would you say that the freelance stuff is? 
<laughs> well, let's see. Before or after we we've updated it, uh, I would say it is definitely over fifty percent. I mean, we are revamping it and putting a lot into it right now. Yeah, it, at least fifty percent. Yeah, I would agree. It's probably about fifty percent. And for anyone listening, and you're already part of like the career accelerator program, all the updates we're talking about and all this hype, like that comes included with what you've already got. So that's cool. And that's just kind of like Elijah, that's how we treat people. Like if you're in, you're in. And the other thing is if you don't want to pay for anything and we got you, whether that's because you can't afford to pay for something or you don't want to afford to pay for something, we understand it either way. And if you go to talentstacker.com forward slash freelance, there is a free freelance guide specifically for people who just want to understand how do I get this first clients? What are the types of documents that I might need to have in place? Like Elijah was talking about, you know, you need that process. That's very important. You can DIY it. You can DIY anything. But when it comes to freelancing, you're going to need those non-disclosure agreement templates, those statement of work, your managed services agreement templates, like we talked about in the past, your project timelines. Um, th- there is so much that goes into uh, basically, you're running a, a consultancy, everything from initiating the conversation with a new client to invoicing and closing deals and doing the project and getting final sign off and everything in between. So there's so much business process requirement documentation, training documentation. There's just so much. So uh, it can seem like a lot, but I can tell you that the lift is absolutely worth the reward that this can give you and a change in your lifestyle. All right. I just want to give a shout out and thank you so much, Elijah for joining us. For anyone out there who's looking for some help with Salesforce and wants to hire him, hit him up on LinkedIn. We'll have it in the show notes. So just connect with him. As you can tell, he's really authentic, easy guy to talk to. And anyone out there who, you know, I'm not quite ready to freelance, just discovered this podcast, just discovered Salesforce, and you're interested into getting on this path and starting your Salesforce career, head over to talentstacker.com forward slash start. And if you're getting value from this podcast, hopefully you're actually enjoying this. Uh, And if you are, make sure to click subscribe on whatever platform that you're listening on. And if you don't mind, go ahead and leave us a review. We do prefer those like favorable reviews, like five stars and leave us positive comments and all the fun stuff. And until our next episode, bye. bye. Thank you for joining us today. To get started for free on your own Salesforce career, go to talentstacker.com forward slash start or check the show notes. There you'll find all the resources you need to start earning 60 to 80,000 in as little as eight months, no matter your education or career background. The Salesforce for Everyone podcast was produced by Edmund T and engineered by Andrew Mendonza. If you like what we do at this scrappy can-do podcast, please help others find us by leaving a five-star rating and a great review on whichever platform you're listening to us right now. See you next time.